What's up, gang? It's Justin Khan back at it again. Uh, today, we're going to do a special episode for the podcast. We're porting over our episode from Only Friends, uh, my YouTube podcast, uh, with the co founders of Justin TV, Michael Seibel, Emmett Shear, Kyle Vogt, and myself. Uh, so these guys were friends of mine. Uh, who went on the wild ride of joining my company where we, you know, I strapped a camera to my head and streamed my life to the internet 24-7 back in 07. That's kind of how I got my start in startups. And uh, we have a fun time. It's just a fun reunion. We're just jamming on a bunch of stuff and bringing up old stories. So, you know, in this episode, we've got a lot of different, con- you know, a lot of fun content. Everything from unheard stories from the old Justin TV days, you know, how we got swatted, uh, unbanning uh, various terrible uh, Twitch users. Uh, we talk about our team dynamics between Michael, myself, Kyle, and Emmett, and like the different roles we played. It was pretty for anyone who's working in a team where there's some conflict and tension. I think it'll be interesting and instructive to hear our story. We had a lot of dysfunction in the early days, uh, and then we have uh, we talk about startup learnings. Uh, Emmett shares some of his ideas on on building quickly and talking to customers. Went through some fun facts about Twitch and some of the early things we tried that completely bombed. And then talk a little bit about how to solve tomorrow's problems and how to find joy, curiosity, and motivation in your work. So, you know, these guys are some of my oldest friends uh, and it was pretty amazing to have this time to, to get together and jam. Everyone's super busy. You know, Michael now is the CEO of Y Combinator. Kyle runs Cruz, you know, $30 billion self-driving car company that he founded with my brother. And uh, Emmett is still the CEO of Twitch. So getting, getting these four on uh, finding any time at all is hard. So I was happy to do it. All right, without further ado, here's the conversation uh, with the Twitch co-founders. I get a ton of Twitter DMs every day asking me something along the lines of, hey, Justin, I want to be a great founder and I have this amazing idea in my head, but I don't really know how to start building it. What do I do? I always tell young founders to just get started and ship something. Luckily, the days of needing to hire a designer or relying on VC funding just to get started are over with apps like Universe. Universe is not just any website builder. It's literally one of the easiest tools out there to customize your unique site that fits your personality. With this app, you don't need to spend hours sitting at a desk building your site. With their grid editor that easily lets you snap blocks into place, you can design and customize your site wherever you are and however you want, all from the palm of your hand. If you're feeling overwhelmed and don't know how to get started on your company, check out Universe and get started building today. We'll drop the link in the show notes. What's up, guys? It's Justin Kahn, your favorite founder's favorite founder. Today, we have a very special episode. We've got the entire Justin TV founding team back at it again. Found, founders Collective. I don't know what our, our super group is called. Um, these are you know, some of the smartest people out there in Silicon Valley who are now doing the biggest things. And uh, this has been much requested. Like Everybody wanted to see like the four of us get back together, all the, all the fans. And I finally made it happen. I've, I've shed blood, sweat, and tears to make this happen. Or at you least sent one, text message. one message. Yes. Send one message. Uh, wait, but Justin, are you really, your, your new thing is your, your favorite founders, favorite founder. That's like your new slogan. That's what I've been saying in my YouTube videos. I, it's okay. what I landed on. 
I, I, mean, I, I love needs, the Everyone needs a slogan. <laughs> everyone needs. A, you could think of a better one for me. I like. I. I. Uh, you know. I. I'm. Right, I'll think about it. I'm gonna see you know. That, see if I can what figure was your it out. slogan on the exercise bike? You had that thing. My exercise bike work slogan real. was. The core is <laughs> solid. The core. No, no, that was that was my first first username. The core is sick. That's my Facebook. My my Facebook name. If you type in facebook.com slash do they still do the personal URLs? Like facebook.com slash the core is sick will go to my profile. So I was doing a lot of ab workouts at the time. Fitness is the first step to greatness. Uh, I heard that so many times. Yeah. I can't really claim that anymore because I'm I'm not uh, you know, I'm never filming while I'm working out now. Yeah. You know, the other yeah. thing I was trying to remember, do you, like, we used to spell our name, like there used to be passwords that would be like the first letter of all of our names, but what order was it in? Do you remember this? Oh, it's a uh, K E M J K. Was that like the password to the Wi-Fi or something? No, no. It was like the root password to our servers. <laughs> 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 I hope someone changed that. <laughs> all, all of the code is out of production, thank God. But uh, I'm pretty sure that was like that was how you like logged into all the all the actual stuff that was running Jason TV. Are you sure that was the right order though? Are you sure it was K E M J? Yeah, Emmett would know. Like muscle memory, we typed that like 10 million times. Yeah, totally muscle memory. I typed that. Up. Yeah, totally. Was, wasn't it like K M J six oh five or five oh six or one yeah? Of, like, it's like oh, where we lived, right? It was our apartment number. Yeah, that's that's just. Fucking top security right there. <laughs> We're like those old, like those old people whose passwords are like their child's last name and then like their birthday. Like, yeah, like that's, it's, that's the, that's the kind of level of security we had going on. Oh man. There wasn't much to protect back then anyways. It's true. We'll tell. So let's, that's a perfect segue into how to get started. I, I solicited the internet for questions for us. And also my producer came up with some Jen, and one of the top ones was just like any unheard stories from the Justin TV slash Twitch days, the Crystal Tower days. That's what people want. They want that that uh, early, you know, startup war story dirt. What have you told? I don't have time to watch your show, Justin. So like, what's old news? What's new news? <laughs> don't don't tell don't tell me that. I know you're watching my TikToks. You send me screenshots of my TikToks. TikToks take like thirty seconds. I told the one about how Michael found. Um, how Michael gotten a hold of you by sending a pizza guy been like 2008. Remember when you were in Tahoe? And I think that one has like hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube now. Oh, that's great. That one, that one was popular. I remember the guy who found our home phone number. Yes. Uh, which one? Well, there's, there were several, but particularly the one who kept calling and Michael picked up the phone and very generously just talked to the guy for like, hours repeating to him over and over and over again i'm so so I'm sorry so sorry for you. for you i'm so sorry i'm so i'm so, this, I'm so this, sorry yeah this was right when we had launched the show justin tv so we're streaming the internet and people wanted to interact and they just kept calling and michael you just kept talking to this guy and saying <laughs> i'm so sorry for you that you would waste your life calling <laughs> us i'm so so sorry for you i'm so sorry for for Quite a while. It was a while. It was a while. It was, but I think he got the message. I don't think he ever called back. <laughs> it's like kindness of endurance. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Absolutely. I just had to prove to him that I was willing to waste more time than he was willing to waste. That's true. And because you didn't have that much to do right around that time with Justin TV, like 
you won. You had to go to a job. <laughs> I mean, I could have yeah. been watching Scrubs, but other than that, it was <laughs> no. This this was your job, actually. This doing yeah, this was true. your job. Actually, that makes yeah, me true. that reminds that reminds me of um, you guys. Remember this? I wrote about this in in the, this book I'm writing. I I kind of wrote this scene up uh, when we're all sitting around. This is in 2010 at Michael's apartment in the Avalon. We're all sitting around brainstorming what Google is going to ask us uh, when oh, yeah. we uh, go. We're trying to sell the company desperately to Google so we can like make some fucking money. And we're sitting around there and we're, we, were, we, we were like, Michael, you were the one who was like, we need to prepare because <laughs> I think you knew intuitively that if without proper, deep preparation, we're going to be fucked walking into Google and being like, we're smart, you should buy us. So we were like writing all the questions that we thought that they could, um, they might possibly ask us out and then like coming up with like whatever credible answer we could think of. Right. And I got this call from a user who had been banned from the site and I took it like while we're having this meeting, I took this call. I don't know if you guys remember. And, and he's like, you know, Hey, is this Justin Khan? I'm like, fuck, I should, you know, I knew I shouldn't have picked up an unlisted number. And then I'm like, yes. And he's like, I want to be unbanned from justin.tv. Like you guys wrongly banned me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll look it up. What's your username? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and he's, he's like, What's it's your username? A-N-A-L underscore L-U-B-E underscore I-N-V-A-D-E-R. <laughs> and I'm just like, like I'm kind of like a blank. I'm like anal lube invader, and then he's like, yes. And I remember putting on speakerphone, and I at that point I'm like, okay, I got to wait. I'm going to put you on speakerphone because other people from our team are here, and we just I need to confirm this anal lube invader. And he's like, yes. And I'm and I remember saying like, you sound like you're like a 30 year old man. Is that is that right? And he was like, so? And I'm like, so you're just saying, you, you're calling me, your name is, on our site is Anal Lube Invader, and you're calling me, to, you're seriously calling me on Saturday afternoon to get a, an unbanned. If you just say that out loud, and I'll actually unban you. And then he he actually did. And we un, I did unban him, actually. I don't know whatever happened to that account. Maybe it's still active on Twitch today. Oh my God. I, I really sincerely doubt it. It would also run afoul of our new, uh, you know, invalid username policy, uh, pretty Fair. pretty strongly. He would have a forced name change showing up. Someone, that, someone check that. <laughs> I remember a different version of that story. So, um, I remember that we we wanted to sell the company to Google, and they agreed to buy us for thirty million dollars. At the time, that seemed very generous, but we had to go through interviews. Emmett is both the villain and hero in the story. So I remember saying to Emmett, Emmett, they probably don't care about all the business people, <laughs> but they really want to interview the engineers. And so you should like take the engineers through a normal set of Google questions that would get an interview so that like we will do well. And Emmett looked at me and he said, uh, some version of like, go fuck yourself, right? Like it was some no, version my, of like, they're fine. What? We don't, we don't, they, they, they're good. We're no, not gonna have a problem. No, no. I think what I probably said is like, I don't know how to do that. 
I mean, I don't remember if I said pronounce it in those words, but like, no, you came out, it. It came out as go to go fuck yourself. Fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Now, what I would say there, there is like, you know, I've never interviewed with Google, and I have no idea what they're going to ask in those in those questions, and no ability to prepare. Wait, the but inter- you could just Google search. Like, so actually, I went further. I Google searched the sites for you that I just didn't know what the questions meant right. or what the answers meant, but I kind of knew that you knew. And all you had to do was look at the sites that I gave you. I don't remember that. Clearly not. And I, believe, I believe you. I totally believe you. And it turns out you saved us. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's the hero villain, right? So villain, we interview and Google comes back and is like, yeah, we don't really want to hire. Like, we want to hire Emmett and Kyle. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the rest of you motherfuckers. And like a couple other people. But they're like... We, you know, we would like for an hire to hit this like 75% of your people pass and we're at like a third. And so um, go fuck yourself. And uh, I remember at the, at the time being pissed at you, Emmett, but you know, it was a genius move in the end. It worked out. It worked, it worked out. out. It definitely worked it was out. planned. Very much planned. Ve- Sorry, I forgot. Very much planned. I wish I remembered this better because I wonder, I wonder what was going through my head when I was like, no, we shouldn't prepare for the interviews. Like that sounds stupid. We, we but- had this like existence proof thing going on, right? If you have a website with a lot of traffic and a lot of users, right. you couldn't be an incompetent engineer and cause that to exist. I think the team had like a lot of street smarts engineering experience, but not a lot of academic smarts. So we couldn't yeah. pass the Google interview, interviews as a group. But we could keep a site up with you know tens of millions of monthly right. users and at a cost lower than anyone else. So we figured out how to do that. But you know, there's different criteria for hiring teams into Google. We were bigger than YouTube Live at that time, right? Like we were bigger than them, yet not qualified yeah, yes. to run yes. our own website, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, when we when we sold Kiko to two cows, I showed them. Like we showed them the thing. We're like, yeah, one of the problems is getting like continually to get, getting slower and slower. And he was like, hey, okay, like the system and like guy who goes in and starts poking around. He's like, yeah, these queries are really slow. Have you have you ever vacuumed the database? And I was like, vacuumed the database? Like, what are you talking <laughs> like about? A Dyson? What do you vacuum? What do you vacuum in a database? What do you? What do you? What do you like? I, the people are in that building. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I like do I do I like print the database out and like run run a vacuum over it? But it turns out you have to you really have to vacuum your databases or they it doesn't like you have to like it's this meta- metaphor for like cleaning up all the the data that's been sitting around your database for a long time um, and, and sort of recompacting it to make it more efficient. And I uh, I just didn't know about that. And we were running the website, and so like it is. I'm just gonna say not totally non credible. The people who managed to build something might be also incompetent. Because I've, I have been that man. Yeah. The funny thing about that was that he, he vacuum ran the vacuum, which took like 30 seconds. Cause there was like, you know, a hundred thousand rows in our database. And, and then, and then it, it sped up like a hundred X and it was the queries. Like we had all done all of this engineering on the application side to try to make it faster and never vacuum the database. And then it was just like instantly the application ran perfectly. Yeah, it was super fast. So we've actually built a very good application. We just like didn't actually know what we were doing. So I don't know. Did you guys hire that guy? No, we probably should have. Instead, I, I learned about, about vacuuming databases and I started reading about, I realized there was a lot for me to learn and I'm actually, I actually became a pretty competent database admin by the end of uh, by the end of the time I stopped doing doing coding. It was kind of fun. I kind of missed that. 
Yeah, you're pretty good at that. But let, let's play this forward. Had Google bought Justin TV, I yes. think we all would have been fired within 12 months. Both for like personality styles, styles yeah. not not wanting to be in there, or just like performance evaluations not not meeting muster. I don't think it would would have gone well. We were we were too off like in our own way of doing things, which is effective, but not orthodox in any way, shape, or form. No, it would have been the worst thing that would have ever have happened to us, hands down. Would we have ever wanted to commute down there too? Like, can you imagine going down to San Bruno? Is that San Bruno like every day? They had a pretty cool office. Yeah. There was like a rock climbing wall, one of those like treadmill rock a, climbing walls. Rock that could have kept wall. me occupied for like three days. No, but it was super easy. It's in their lobby. No one ever used it. It was uh, the handholds are super big. It's like one of those things that's like bait for for new hires. It's like, hey, we're so cool. And then like you don't really want it. You know? You don't know what's on the other side of that wall, like inside the office. <laughs> I'll show you that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, a famous Silicon Valley investor. Hunter Walk was the person who interviewed me. He was at he was at YouTube at the time. He had transferred over from Google, was one of the transplants over. He was interviewing me about all the things that we could do on, on YouTube Live. And I don't think I did very well in that interview. I think I kind of disagreed with almost everything he said, which in hindsight probably didn't help us either. But although although in hindsight you were you were like correct. For all I know, he could have been correct. I don't even remember That's what he true. asked. That's true. <laughs> I don't want to take Accurate. any credit. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's been a general story, which has been like almost every deal that's fallen through for me has turned out to be a blessing and surprise in disguise. Like we almost got bought by Yahoo with Kiko. That would have been a terrible, terrible thing to have happen to us. The Google deal would have been bad. Generally, more deals should fall through. I think you're almost always better off like not doing it. If it's not like it's if they're not really out, excited, man. yeah. Well, no, it's also like if they're not excited enough to do the deal, like it, it doesn't. If they're not so excited, it like gets across the finish line. The deals that fall through are generally falling through because it actually it isn't a good fit, and like you are better off. You actually are better off. Be, and I think it's actually connected. I don't think it's like random entirely. So if we go back to stories, one of my favorite stories that I don't know if it gets told enough is when you got arrested, Justin when we were trying to convince Kyle to actually quit school and work full time. We're reframing that as a recruiting stunt now. Exactly. No, no. Yeah, it was absolute. I was mortified until you looked kind of into it. And then I was like, maybe we could work with this somehow. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's going to work out. I want to hear Kyle's perspective because I did tell the story. I, I tell it all the time. I told it on YouTube and <laughs> It is one of the, the popular videos on the channel. Well, so they know my perspective of, you know, going live and getting arrested, urinating my pants in the in the prison. Like they, that that part is all part of the public record now. But what were, Kyle, what were you thinking at the time that this was going down? Well, I think, you know, at this point, I hadn't figured out how to get the live video to record. So we were like watching it and listening to bits and pieces of this. And I was trying to figure out how to save the the video or hack that in because i figured something interesting was going to happen but yeah when i don't really know i kind of figured you guys knew what you were doing and this maybe was part of some master plan um <laughs> or not that big of a deal <laughs> until until who, no. who, was, who were we driving who was it michael was it you were driving around we we're trying to find justin like which jail he's in yeah we were in a yeah. fucking tax and justin had got arrested follow that car follow that police car was what we said to the taxi driver 
Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. Like at that point, I hadn't really reconciled what was happening. I wasn't worried about the fact that our one and only prototype camera that we were going to build a business on top of was with you and perhaps getting like kicked around in the bottom of a police car or that you might actually go to jail and we also wouldn't have a business. None of that clicked then. I mean, at this point, you know, the idea of Justin TV being a real business was not a thing because we were just messing around and prototyping. That was pre-launch. And so like reality hadn't set in that uh, there's like responsibilities and, and uh, you know, downside if something breaks or someone disappears. You know, Kyle, I kind of feel the same way. I don't think the reality that we were running a business occurred to me at all at the time. <laughs> I actually, it was far more enjoyable than I think it might have appeared if you were to hear the story. It was like, oh, we have something to do tonight. Let's chase Justin around jails and see if we can find him. Yeah, it was really fun, actually. That yeah. night didn't seem so distinct from the other nights in terms of people getting really drunk and mistakes being made. So it didn't really stand out. I I just remember that night. That was the first time I was like, we have something here. Like that night actually was a little transformative for me because as I was getting in the taxi to follow Justin from being arrested, I get a phone call and it's my friend Daniel from college. And he's been watching the beta because I sent it to him. And he's like, did Justin just get arrested? And I was like, oh, this is kind of magical. They're actually like, this is like, there's like a, this is like really in, like I'm, and I was like telling you about what's going on. And I was like, this is like, like the live, like I'm at, he's at home, but he can see what's happening and he can reach out and like connect to me. That, that was actually kind of cool. And we actually didn't recapture, like we didn't recapture that kind of dynamic for a long time. But I, I at the, at the time I remember being like, this is, this is actually a thing. Like this is kind of, this was kind of fun. Well. I don't know about that. I think we recaptured it pretty well when we got swatted. That's that's fair. It's a little bit of the inverse. The, 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 the cops come to you instead of you coming to them. Cops. We had to have a full police experience, Justin. You had to have a 360 experience of the criminal justice system. Yes, yes. Every aspect. I that I posted it on YouTube as a okay. short. Also, I've been posting. I'm don't worry. I'm mining heavy. I'm mining the content library he, very heavily. I made a I made a TikTok where I green screen the video and I kind of talk over it and what's happening. They came, I mean, to the TLDR, they kicked in our someone you know a fan, an overzealous fan calls in a stabbing in our apartment. They kick in the door because it's like slightly ajar. By the way, always close your door. Then they have to knock, and then. They uh, point to have their guns drawn and you're like sitting there two feet away when they have a gun loaded Glock pointed at your head, which was very off-putting. Yeah, you know? I remember that. Really not great. They did, they did actually knock and they said, SF police open up. And it sounded like Matt Brezina, our friend. And I thought he was just yes. like playing a joke on us. So I open up the door, kind of swing it open fast like you would to like greet a friend. And there's literally a gun like drawn pointed at my face. That like shook me up for hours. I was like visibly, physically shaking like the rest of that night. That was intense. Yeah. 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 That, was, that, that was shocking. I remember we discussed like afterwards with the aftermath, we're like, I was like, should we shut this down? Like, this is, this is, this is real shit. That was like the scene in a movie where, you know, we, I have a come to Jesus. I'm like, what have I unleashed? Like my friend could and, have and, died. And then you're like, nah, it's fine. We'll just keep going. It's cool. <laughs> well, basically, we, 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 you know, we were fine the next morning. I think, yeah, exactly. Next, next morning back at it. I actually wasn't, I wasn't there, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was, Thank you. <laughs> I was somewhere else with someone else. And so I remember coming back in being like, oh, well, that sounds like that sucked. <laughs> yes. I probably Sorry. should have moved yeah. my desk from closest to, to the door, like you know, to, to the furthest from the that. door. <laughs> never, never. Occurred yeah. There, no. You had a good 10 feet there, Kyle. You could have got a little 10 feet away from that gun next time. <laughs> <laughs> So what stories have you not told, Justin? Like, what, what, what can we mine here? I'm curious, like, what do you remember? Like, anything from the, you know, the early days or the when we were, I mean, I told, I basically told all the highlights, like, you know, pivoting when we pivoted uh, and then the selling, opening up our, our, uh, my Bank of America at Kyle's wedding where the internet reception was really shitty and trying to like having that circle of death refresh, pull down to refresh and just keep, keep I kept like doing that until it, you know, wire hit do you get do you guys remember like like features we built that never made it or features that were oh that were like yeah. pivotal you should tell them about that because i feel like a lot of these like people treat, keep trying to recycle these ideas i mean yeah challenges was a was a good one challenges was was the that was the project that taught me how to be a product manager by counter example like <laughs> tell, explain what it was, it was Emmett. explain what it was so Challenges is the idea that you could create a challenge for a streamer and it'd be like, a sort of like a, you know, like, uh, sing, sing this song on stream or like do 50 pushups or whatever. And the streamer, and you could like have them be upvoted and they could be like popular ones and you could be like requested to do one. And then the streamers could like take them and then, and then do them. We'd automatically clip the challenge being completed and everyone could like vote on which of the clips of the completed challenges were the best. It sounded like kind of like it could be fun and cool and like it would be good. And it didn't occur to me at the time to like ask, did it meet the need of any of our streamers? Like, if I did it, it wasn't general. And when I, I actually I did talk to, so I didn't not talk to streamers about it. I did talk to streamers about challenges, and they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. But it turns out that like they'll say that about anything. That's like not, <laughs> that's not evidence. And we launched it. It was like this, it was we put a lot of work in that. We we're like, this is going to be the big thing that makes this TV much more fun to do, and. It was just like a total failure. It had so many pages and corners of this feature, all these things you had to build, all these different views and, and like oh my settings God. and all that kind of stuff. It was a, and we it was built a, it was all like of a them. full site. Yeah. Yeah, we built all of them before testing anything. That was that was great. But then and, and I, I think, think there was only one challenge ever completed, which was like one I did. There, there was more than that. There might have been like 15. But like, yeah, it's not it it wasn't used. It was a real failure. And I don't know, for me, it was this real like rite of passage of like, I was so sure this was going to work. It completely didn't. And it really shook me up. Like it made me really reconsider, like, how am I, how am I doing that? Like, what, what made me think this was a good idea? Like, I need to completely change my ways. I guess that was, that was my like product manager come to Jesus moment of like, I'm, I'm, I'm living life wrong. You did a better version of that with gamers. You actually like listened to the users and that worked Yeah, it was well, definitely did. Better. It definitely did. Eventually, I learned how to do a little better. What, what, Michael, what were you going to say? Yeah, let's not lie here. Like the, the moment where challenges died versus the moment where Twitch was born, there was still like years of incompetence between those two moments. It wasn't like... Challenges? When did we build challenges? It was it's one of the first... 2007. <laughs> no, it was, it was 2000... not 2007. No way. Yeah, it was at the end of 2007. Like, cause we launched the site for everybody. We launched my show in March 19th, 2007. And then we launched the site for everybody in October, I think like yeah. in the early October. And then I think it was our first feature. I think we spent several months in like kind of 
end of that that year building it. No, because we we'd iterated several like lots of stuff before that happened. I, I let's see. Justin TV channel. No, no, I think we did a lot of the things afterwards. Like we built the social network afterwards and chat afterwards and a oh, there feed were friends. We had friends on that site. We had friends. And yeah, followers. we built friends. Yeah. 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 Having friends and followers was confusing. Yes. That was confusing. But we were <laughs> good at the we did remove challenges completely. Like I think like we, we actually completely removed it from the site, which was didn't it take too long though? Wasn't it up there for months is just this like decaying fragment of the site that was like half of it that's fast cutting something after months is fast most people will take like i actually think that that was something we were pretty good at was being like oh that well that was a mistake and then just like not doing it anymore there was a concept of justin tv but yeah there's like justin tv time where things that now seem to take product teams like two years or this is maybe startup time like yeah a month to launch and then two months to kill Whereas like large companies today that could take years or, or never happen. So that was really cool. That's totally I, I, true. I look back fondly on the like, velocity of stuff we tried it and failed. I don't regret that because I think it would have taken cycling through like 20 bad ideas to find the one good one. You know, one thing I also remember, one great feature was one that Tim Robinson made. Remember when he made subscriptions? That was like yes. a feature that saved Justin TV. Pro. Justin TV Pro. Oh, pro. Yeah. Sorry, pro. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I remember it because like it was a secret feature. Like we launched a secret feature that was a third of our revenue. And basically, if you were in a non-English speaking country after watching Dustin TV for, was it five minutes or 10 minutes? We, we just put- tested the crap out of it. And the optimal yeah. length was five minutes. It was just a paywall. And it was like, screw you. You got to pay us 10 hours a month to go to our site. And like that was a third of our revenue for like years. And nobody ever knew. Yeah. And it kind of gave us this idea of having a subscription at all. Right. Like yeah. that, that was, that was like the seed of like, you know, this, this really powerful idea, which, you know, inspired subscriptions for channels. And then now has inspired like subscriptions all over the internet as people have like kind of copied the subscription model off of Twitch in the, in the Western internet. So it was all because of Tim. So Tim was this engineer who like, he thought we were like incompetent product managers, which was, basically true. true. And, and he just Accurate. wanted to work on like without, without interruption in his like loft. Like we had this like jigsaw, like it was kind of like an MC Escher-esque office. And there was this loft in the corner that was like one person he was working out of. And he just wanted to stay there and not hear from us ever basically. So we were like, okay, run with this pro feature. Cause we don't like, you know, it's like, we don't know anything about it. Like we're, we, I tried to like tell him what to do and like make a spec and stuff. And he was just like, fuck this. And then he just did, did it. And he just, it worked. It like, he iterate, he actually AB tested, he iterated it and it actually started working after months. It was the first time we'd ever done AB testing in our company. And it was him. He taught me what AB testing was. It was really impressive. Yeah. Tim, wherever you are, I salute you. Thank you. Thank yeah, we we are grateful. Uh, I uh, the other feature that I remember building that we were so excited about was the like go live from the front page. Like we had this idea we we're going to pivot the front page from like finding content to creating content because we need to be a social media service oh. like all the other social media services. That was when we were obsessed with funnel analysis. We're like, if we get more people <laughs> to broadcast, we'll be a bigger site. So how do you like force people to broadcast? <laughs> 
yeah, we, we, I, the other thing I remember is like, so the thing we run just, so we ran Twitch on like from the very beginning was like this combination of number of hours of video watched and the number of unique daily visitors and sort of the ratio between those two things. And that was like, that's like basically the, those are the two things that sort of tell you what's going on on Twitch. And on Justin TV, we, we couldn't measure neither of those numbers. We had no real measurement of the number of uniques that like was in any way trustworthy. And we also didn't have any measurement of like how many hours of video were being watched. And so like we, up until like sort of towards the end, we eventually built that capacity. But like, I look back at it and we were like, we were looking at video views, which is like the single worst metric for managing a video website because every time your, your video goes down, people hit refresh and you get more views. And so like literally it was like, we would like fix quality of service issues and our site would shrink because we'd have fewer views because, uh, because <laughs> we were so that incompetent about measuring uh, usage. It's it pretty incredible. I like, can't believe how successful it was. It just goes to show like, if you just keep, if you keep, it's kind of like, it's like, if you just keep moving, you just keep like, doing dumb things but then doing another dumb thing and then another dumb thing and you keep and you do it fast it's like can actually work you would be start off pretty dumb what were some of the what were some of the worst moments that you guys remember from the entire experience or maybe the best you could do best and worst i remember justin's worst moment top five justin worst moment happened at the dining room at the ritz remember <laughs> that moment <laughs> 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 yes, I do. I do. That was that was that was a worst. That was a worst one for sure. That was like we're, we were pivoting, right? We had decided to pivot to social cam and to Twitch, or what became Twitch, right? But it was just unnamed gaming, you know, working on the gaming category, and so we were like on the sprint, right? We were like a, it was like a three month sprint to like launch these things or whatever, and um, for some reason, our investor. One of our investors, I'll just like, it doesn't, we don't need to blow, put it on blast. One of our investors wanted us to take, take us out to dinner at, at a nice dinner. I'm not even sure why or how, but we were working like a lot. It's kind of like what Kyle said, where we're like, we were like, okay, we're working. The team was like working, you know, 12, 13 hours a day, six or seven days a week. Like people were working all the time. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I didn't want to go to this dinner, but we were like, okay, we need to go because it's our investor. And so we went with all of our uh, significant others too, like all of our yeah. partners. And he brought some girl he was dating, some, some woman, woman who was dating, yeah, partner who was dating. And she was, I was like, at least, I kept thinking, well, at least I'm going to get a nice meal out of it. He's going to, you know, he's we're going to get a nice meal out of it. And then... The only thing I remember from that dinner of, in terms of what we talked about, which is funny, was that she kept talking about ayahuasca and how she was puking, but it wasn't the, and during this ayahuasca journey she was on, but it wasn't the bad kind of puke. It was the good kind, which was like, blew my mind at the time. And now I know exactly what she was talking about. Um, <laughs> but it uh, wasn't at the then, beginning or the end. She was puking throughout, like the whole yes. time. Yeah, but I mean, that happens, you know, that happens now. I can't, I mean, I wish I would have been a little yeah, bit more yeah. curious at the time. At the time, I, I wish if I had been a little more curious, things might have been different for me, but I was just so enraged the entire time. I remember it came time to pay the bill and I look over at Michael and he's like picking up the check with a company card. And I mean, I was such a tight fisted asshole that I was just like, what the fuck? Like my mind like was going, like my eyes were going red and, uh, I don't really know. How did he slip you the bill? 
You know, uh, when the bill came, I looked directly at him and he looked directly at the waiter and then looked directly away. <laughs> and it was a moment, right? It was like, well, this could either get really awkward or I, I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna take there the we are. But just suppose that yeah. to the first time we went to dining room at the Ritz after raising money from an that, investor. That, that was an all time like best life experience. That was so much fun. The first time I'd ever had like a real multi-course fine dining experience. And it was with like I, a bunch of, we took out a bunch of our friends and like, it was amazing. I want to say we spent like, a, uh, like a 1% of our, of that, our fundraise on that. Right. Yeah. I think it was no. 20 grand and we raised 2 million. No, fuck right. you. No, it costs like $3,500. God. Oh, okay. No. All right. Only 0.15. <laughs> <What are we, laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nothing. Oh, really? That's nothing. Never mind. Really? No. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was more than that. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to learn. I was I carried around this, like, wow, we were really irresponsible, but apparently we were only like no, we were, mildly irresponsible. $35,000 no, for dinner. That would have, that would have been aggressive. No, it was too, you're right. It was 30, 30 that's right. It was like three to 4,000 or something like that. That's a deal actually. Cause we had like 12, 13 people. Sorry. Now we really sound like assholes. It was a, it was a big celebration. We didn't, we didn't eat like that. Yeah. Normally. It was after a long slog of trying to raise money too. It was like definitely a celebratory moment. I thought we got a good deal at the time. Like now YC companies yeah. raise that, you know, when they, when they, when they have a good bowel movement. But back then I felt like we were really lucky. Well, we were actually 2 million because we raised 2 million at like a $10 million pre or something like that, which is like a really good was at the time was like excellent. Like other people were not getting that, you know. Can you imagine venture rounds being in the range of like evaluation being in the range of like 5 million to 20 million was our like a really good one compared to today? Like there's seed yeah. three seed rounds where the valuations are like five times that. I talked to a company today that's raising a, their series A and the valuation, you know, they have, they have, uh, they have sub $1 million in ARR and the valuation is just under a, a hundred. So, you know, it's like, dude, no, 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 that's not the record. I, I'm not even saying it's the record. I'm not saying it's a record. It's Tuesday. It's just a Tuesday. <laughs> Fair. One of our good friends invested in a company's seed round at a $1 billion valuation. I passed on that one. $1 billion dollar valuation for the seed round at a certain point you have to just think about like what's the what's the terminal valuation of this company and is it you know like is it worth the risk that's as i told the i told if we're talking about the same company which i assume we are i talked to the founder <laughs> and i was like can i explain you my math on angel investing like, <laughs> i'm looking for like a thousand x return or like a ten thousand x return like you need to be worth ten trillion dollars <laughs> To make that worthwhile. So as much as I love what you're doing, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> global, yeah. Like what's the global economy? What's what's the big number here? <laughs> I hope this company becomes worth $10 trillion because that would be a great story too. But Hey, Kyle, the global GDP is apparently $80 trillion. So it only has to be one, worth one-eighth of all of everything produced on Earth. Totally doable. Um, That's the so you guys must be right. I, I remember challenges being this like, real touchstone for me, but it must have taken me a long time to like, to realize, because I, I remember when I was doing Twitch, thinking back on challenges and being like, we need to not do that again. And I think I, in my mind, I'd compressed the time. And it's so interesting, like hearing it and like, because we did have that whole year, where we did nothing but work on money. 
Yeah, the money, that, that was a good year. That was like an actual, like we were the customer. We were like, we need money. And, so we, <laughs> and we met every month. That was like actually good product management, right? Where yeah, yeah. if your goal was to get money, because we met every month and we were like, how do we, or even just good management. We were like, we have a, a list of expenses and we have a list of ways revenue, or we, we have a column A, like ways to make money, column B, ways to sp spend less money. And then we just put things on the list, like everybody just brainstormed shit to put on the list. And then we rank ordered in terms of ROI. And then we just did as much as we could. And we went from, this was like 2009, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think 2009 or 10, 2010. Yes. And we went from not profitable, like deeply unprofitable to cash flow positive in 10 months. Yeah. No. That was, I mean, it was amazing. Oh. No. No, we went from August 2010, burning $250,000 a month, to we ended 2010 with a million in profit. That was great. It's pretty intense. It's amazing what scarcity will do to you. I remember we had like, we had this printout. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we like ordered all the pages on Justin TV by views. And there was like the front page, there's like the directory page and others. And then we look at each one of those pages and say, all right, we've got banner ads everywhere. Can we insert another pre-roll video ad here? Even if someone doesn't watch a video, can we just make a pre-roll and start playing a video without them clicking? We, did. We, we innovated on that ad format. We really invented the like autoplay ad that is really video that's really there to show you to show you a pre-roll format that's now widely used on news websites. And I'm very sorry to everyone but we All did right. invent that. Oh, yeah. And do you, do you remember when, I can't remember who came with this, me, and it was probably you, but like when we're like these stupid broadcasters, like when people log onto their stream, they just keep going. Like it, they, they, so we only get one ad showing and they're like, okay, well, let's like start inserting timed ones. Like every five minutes you watch pre-roll and they hated that. So then, you know, we're like, well, what if we, I think you came up with this in, in, uh, innovation, Evan, or I'm going to give you credit for it. What if we let them run the ad when they're like going to the bathroom or something? They can type slash ad in the chat room and run a pre-roll. And then that was that was the start of that feedback cycle where if we incentivize the users to like run ads, maybe the whole thing takes off. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was for we invented that for Twitch and like the the I think that was the key insight that we never really had during Justin TV. Like the most important one actually of everything was like, oh, the streamers are actually important. Like we actually have to like give like they're not just like going to do a bunch of labor for us for free if there's no benefit to them maybe we need to like cut them in on the deal and like once you do that it, yeah, it empowers all kinds of shit like that uh it was that was a that was a big change looking back at it we really like didn't want to talk to the streamers like we did a little bit but like it was really like we had this idea we were building a social media thing like uh you know whatever facebook or something and we did like that meant you didn't like talk to individual customers it was very important not to do that because that's like not automated. I feel like that's, that was sort of the mindset I had. Yeah. Like the Google mindset, right? Like that we're yeah. just going to like spit out some product that, you know, everybody is like, going to be like, this is fucking genius. Like these guys are like the smartest fucking people ever. And, and then that was it. That was the whole product development process. Remember these customers, these users were also getting us sued somewhat constantly. I remember there was a two year period of time where what was it? Sergio Berlusconi's company was suing That's Justin odd. TV and Emmett was named on the lawsuit because like an idiot, and I learned this lesson through Emmett, he had registered the website, I think. <laughs> so. I had.
So Emmett couldn't go to Italy for two years because they the cops might have picked him up. And uh, I just remember chuckling about that and thinking, you know, that's one of those things where that was rolled the dice whose name could have been on that. <laughs> <laughs> really could have been so, anybody. Really could have been anybody on that. <laughs> oh, God. Do you guys remember the Moroccan guy who started streaming soccer? Like the first real sports broadcast we ever had? I don't. Spring 2008, a guy in Morocco set his laptop up and pointed it at his television where a local Moroccan league soccer game was playing. And 3,000 Moroccans from around the world descended on our site to watch this game in Arabic. And we had no idea what was going on. And it totally crushed us. And then in 2008, we grew 1,200%. Like I'm, that year was just, or it might have been 1,600%. It was just like that year was just scale and like hold on to your ass. Uh, that, was, that was one of the more fun times. Challenges was one of the last features we built because even though it's in 2007, after that, it was like scaling so everything doesn't fall apart. And then existential despair and depression so no one was doing anything. And then, oh shit, we're going to run out of money and then pivot. Like we didn't actually build any more Justin TV features after that point. No, we did build some. Remember, we built like an, uh, the feature where there could be like co-streaming, like multiple people would appear on one thing. on. Like oh. together. When did we build that? Or did we build that. it or did we just mock it up and not build it? I think we, it. I think it. we just like mocked it up and we never built it. Two video streams actually loaded within it. Or actually, we might even supported like up to four. can't remember. Yeah, I think I think Kyle's right. I think we built it and then just never really understood why people would want it or like how to you know, they would use it. And also the latency was like variable, right? So like the streams yeah, wouldn't match really, up. You couldn't really talk. To them. That's why we killed yeah. it because you couldn't talk. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the soccer stuff, like, yeah, that was an intense period of time. Because I remember, like, the simple like, today, if you have a scaling problem, you like pay CDNs a lot of money, and the problem goes away. But like live video on the internet was way too expensive, like off by like 10x from what we could afford. Yeah. So we did it all ourselves, which is very painful trying to like build a CDN on the spot. But I remember that during that shortly after that soccer stuff, there was a period of probably 18 months where I had normalized going to bed and then like waking up at 4 a.m. whenever like the traffic would spike in in europe or uh or africa mm-hmm. and like spend an hour and a half to two hours battling server fires and then like pass out that was like every single day seven days a week for like 18 months and there was no there's no time to ever get ahead of it because we had to maintain the site so we couldn't like didn't have the bandwidth to like hire people or to like expand the team or to like do pay off tech debt it was just like you know we we're stuck on this treadmill when did we hire shipman oh yeah that was pretty 2009 was like Looking back at it, I think, Kyle, you did a bunch of things that were really important for Justin TV, but maybe the single most important thing you did was hire Shipman. No! No! <laughs> Bill also built the video the system. And the Bill video built the camera and the video system. And, and the thing that scaled the website. <laughs> Hiring Shipman like, was of equal, was in that list because he actually, like, he's the reason we built out a, like, we then were able to, on the basis of what Kyle had managed to like build himself with blood, sweat, and tears, turn it into something that could have a global scale. And like that was like, we like, were never going to figure that out ourselves, actually. That was not something we had the experience to know how to do. The thing that I remembered about Kyle, and it was actually funny because like working at YC now, I get really confused 
because I kind of felt like being with Kyle and Emmett, I'd never heard anyone say, I don't know how to build this. Like those words never left their mouths ever, right? And maybe there was evidence all around that they didn't know how to build it, but those words would never. And so like, I remember being early at YC and like talking to like a technical co-founder and I just kind of thought like engineer, engineer, right? Kyle, Emmett, you guys hire good engineers. So like I'd only been around good engineers. I remember the CTO being like, I don't know how to build that. And I just remember having this deep feeling of like disgust, just being like, those words would never, like Kyle and Emmett would never say that. Like they'd rather slit their throat than say, oh, I don't know how to build that. And and that's what I learned. I was like, oh shit, like they weren't average. Like that wasn't average. But I think until I interacted with other technical co-founders, I didn't realize. It's kind of crazy when you go into other places and I'm sure you feel this way, but I mean, you know, Kyle and Emmett, you both are running like large companies, like, but like you go into like teams that maybe work for you or, you know, I've done this in startups or, or other startups I look at and then like they make a roadmap of how long it's going to take to do things. And you're just like, wait, what the fuck? Like, so what you're putting up a application, like a restful application, like that should be like one week or like two weeks or something. What it was taking so long. They're like, it's like six months or something, you know? I was just saying there's things that, you know, we overlooked, like any sort of tests whatsoever, uh, any sort of scaling plans, uh, you know, documentation, user testing, these little reliability. Yeah. Yeah. Legal. Yeah. So you delete everything from the plan except writing the code and it, it happens pretty quick. Yeah, and I actually think this is this is a this is like a secret that startups a secret advantage of startups is that like we could build stuff and like try it and find out if anybody has any interest in this thing very rapidly because we did skip all of the, the security like whatever like the, nobody wants anything we have everything is terrible we might as well just go build something and see what happens. I hope you guys are enjoying the conversation so far. On this podcast, I always preach about practicing gratitude. And today, I'm thankful for our sponsor, Cash App, and making the quest possible. Cash App is the best way to spend, save, and invest in stocks, as well as buy cryptocurrencies in a way that's easy to understand and accessible for everyone. From payments to banking to investing, you can do it all on one platform. It's available for download on the App Store and Google Play, so you better go get that 10 bucks your friend owes you from two years ago. Now let's get back to the episode. Another question, like, what do you, how, how was our working dynamic as a team? Yeah, I I love this one because there's, I feel like there's a lot to learn here for people. Like one thing that, uh, one question here is like, were you ever scared about losing your friendship as a result of business disagreements? I think this is best illustrated in the story when we were all living together and the working dynamic was so bad that Kyle had decided to switch from sleeping at night to sleeping during the day, which to this day is like the most boss move I've ever seen for like, you know, this isn't working. So I'm just going to go nocturnal. So I don't have to be here. Uh, wrote a lot of code i mean like yeah it was was a highly productive time i'm not going to argue that like we were anything but massively dysfunctional but at no point was i afraid that i would lose my friendship over any of that dysfunction because 
I don't know. I just felt like no matter how much like you're how irritating it was that other people were clearly wrong at work and how dysfunctional that was, that didn't mean we couldn't be friends. It was just like, oh yeah, that, that well, I guess that's that's stupid. There's like a deep foundation of friendship underneath the the dysfunction. Because I think that while we while we would be very it was very dysfunctional in the sense of like making decisions. <laughs> it was quite functional in the sense that we were all in it together. Like at no point that I feel like someone was trying to screw me over. They might be putting in not enough effort. They might be uh, working really hard in the wrong direction because they're an idiot, but they weren't like trying to like sabotage me or screw me over. Like at no point was that a fear. I think that's like a really big deal. Like there was, there was a deep integrity and trust in that. A lot of companies that have, I mean, we would know, I guess we all wound up going and doing our own thing. Eventually we're all happier being CEO than like being part of a team, but like, we had a surprisingly functional four-person leadership team, like in the sense that it was functional in the sense that like it functioned. Like we in fact ran the company and grew the company and did stuff, no matter how dysfunctional the interpersonal dynamics and management practices were. Well, the management practices were incredibly dysfunctional. We 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 uh, as well as, as well <laughs> so as the decision sorry. making. I'm so sorry to all all of our first employees. Like we were we really it's enough to make you think maybe somebody should have to have a license to like hire people. Like yeah. it was, it, we were just so incompetent. We were so bad. We were such bad managers. We had no idea what we were doing. But I mean, it was also a constant war of attrition in terms of like who got to make the decision. Cause like Michael was the CEO, but like we didn't actually, you know, he wasn't making the decisions like a CEO because we weren't, wouldn't let him. Right. So we were like, and we all, for the major decisions, it was kind of like, we'd sit in a room and argue until like people gave up basically. And then it was kind of like a last man standing thing, which I think some of us were more like intellectually stimulated by. And and I just remember Kyle was often just like, what the fuck? This is fucking stupid. Well, you guys were pretty open about it. Being from Yale, you're like, this is what we do. We argue. This is, yeah, this is the point Yale. of submission. Your grade is dependent on it. You know, yeah. really, like it your grades are dependent high, on it. It was high-minded debate. It wasn't argument. And, and the best part was we never wrote down the decision. <laughs> Michael, if you, if you write down the decision, you can't argue it again tomorrow. Like that's... <laughs> Why would you write the decision down? That might reduce the quantity of argument you could have. The quantity, excuse That's... me, the quantity of high-minded debate available. Um, what, I, what I think actually made it work is that we all respected each other and we all had the kind of our areas of ownership. And like Kyle like owned the video system. And like, I wasn't going to, Kyle had some plan for the video system. Like, fuck if I knew what that plan was actually in any detail, but like he probably was on top of it. And like Michael was like going to go like raise money. And he, I, I like didn't even go on the fundraising meetings. I don't even know. I didn't even know what was really happening. I was more or less in the dark. And that, the fact that we were all willing to like trust the other person, just own their thing. It was like there was a invisible good CEO have, that actually delegated to us areas of ownership and was like, right, these are your areas of ownership. This is what you're going to go do. Except there wasn't anyone in that seat. And therefore, everything was massively dysfunctional. I think you're being too generous. I don't think we trusted the other person to do the job. I don't think we wanted to do the other person's job. I think that we 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 weren't confident that they were doing a good job, but we didn't want to do the other person's job, or in my case, couldn't do the other person's job. So it was a weird, like, it was a weird balance of power. I don't, it wasn't like a no, UN, that, that, it was more like a, like, <laughs> 
mutually assured destruction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not not aggressive, you know. But but certainly not functional. Yeah, I, I kind of see it more like Michael, where where there wasn't there was trust. I think, like you said, there was like integrity trust. Like everyone's working, we're on the same ship, and we're kind of pulling roughly in the same direction. But I definitely think there wasn't as much trust in the like. And I think I was probably the most guilty because I had like just enough technical knowledge to be dangerous and like did you know just enough on the business side or whatever. And I thought I was like on the product side, and so I was kind of like in all these different areas. But I think I was. We would have been best off i think what breaking apart shows like everyone went on to like you know do things like twitch like was your idea and then you like became the ceo and like shepherded right like kyle like went on and founded cruise and like created this massive you know self-driving car company and and like so on and so forth like each of us i think wanted to be the ceo but like we didn't really have the feel like the moral authority to like really step up and like just be that the CEO. And then the other people weren't really supportive of it. So it was kind of like this quadumvirate or whatever you would, you know, call it where we all it just, was a quadumvirate, yeah. Yeah. Which is not a form of government you hear about a lot for a reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, but what was the glue or magnetism that kept us like together through that, right? I think it was, uh, we had set ourselves up in a position where we were basically unwilling to ever admit defeat. Like we didn't have fallback jobs. I don't think any of us had families at the time. And we had all done things or taken bold moves where failure would be an embarrassment. And so there was that common ground, I think, that was helpful. And I just remember at no point in time, like was giving up and shutting down the company and doing someone else, something else like a thing that was never even an option that was discussed or contemplated. It was all, how do we get ourselves out of this mess and on to the next one? So that was an interesting <laughs> concept because like today that's not common at all, or at least maybe, you know, like in, in the, you know, how I work today and how I interact with people, but we, we certainly had that. I think that's true. There was like a huge, for me, you know, there's like this huge amount of ego keeping me going and also, but also in a good way, like the good part was like, I was, you know, like you said, I was like, oh, I have no option but to do this. And my whole identity is tied up in it. And even like when we vested, we all vested our shares, right? Like four years in, we were still like working on it. Cause we were like, this is our thing. This is our shot. This is, you know, my baby or whatever. Yeah. But then the bad part of the ego, like for me, was like, I had all this ego about like, oh, I should be in charge and making decisions and like deciding all this stuff and like be the CEO of a company. And I, that's my, you know, that's what I'm supposed to be because like I have this whole vision of what your like success is in Silicon Valley when, you know, I'm not a good CEO. I like, I should not, or I, maybe I could be, but I just don't want to do the things like a lot of the things that you should want to do. Right. Like, it's like I, there, I should have just specialized in the thing that I wanted to do. Right. Like, and, and not had ego be the, yeah. the, but the ego for me was a big barrier. So I, I've seen a lot of leadership teams now because I've built a bunch of leadership teams. I've scaled a bunch of leadership teams. And I just think, I don't think you guys are giving us enough credit for this core thing that we did right. That is the reason why there was any success at all, despite what I don't dispute is massive, horrible dysfunction in many other areas. How many times have you seen a team you're managing where someone's like, that guy's doing a shitty job. And the reason we're not succeeding is him. We need to get rid of him or like give me more power because that guy sucks. How often do you see that? And like the answer is all the fucking time. That is the default thing that happens when you divide power between people and there's a lot on the line. They start making excuses about how it's not their fault, it's someone else's fault. And like not once can I, I can't think of a single time where that happened with us. 
the entire time. That's true. I can think of times where people like intervene and like, Emmett, you're fucking up like directly to me, but not like behind my back and not trying to get me removed. That's true. I, mean, I think that you're right. There was like never any, there was always like trust, like that the trust is a building block. Right. And then there was never any, nobody ever was like deflected blame directly or like try to be like, I'm not responsible. I mean, there was like kind of the passive, like the four of us are responsible. And so <laughs> I'm like not responsible and lying to myself, but there wasn't the like something bad happened tangibly. And then everybody, someone was like, Oh, it's like that other guy's fault. That was not me. That's I'm not responsible for that. You know, I'm going to play negative Nancy. Emmett. I, I, I think we got lucky on two fronts. I actually think that one, enough things were happening in the company that we were constantly confronted with challenges. And so I think the company stayed interesting. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't becoming successful necessarily, but it was staying hard. And I think we all kind of got motivation from that. And I think the second thing is the part of that, like, fuck that other guy thing is like, comes from, I think I could do a better job than him. Yeah. And I don't know why, but like, I don't think any of us ever really wanted to take that step because I don't think any of us wanted to do the other person's thing. Like, I remember for the longest time, I didn't feel comfortable being a product person. I was like, I don't know this shit. I can't write a line of code. I, I can't do Justin's job. Right, Kyle and Emmett, that's fucking like off the table immediately. And so in a weird way, I think that we all kind of had this like, we're on the life raft together and like mm -hmm. the waves are coming every day. And so like it or not, we got to figure this shit out. And like, I think a bond was formed because of that. That was a very strong bond, but in a different environment, maybe a different, something different would have happened. Well, hold on. This is like a perfect example of survivor bias, right? We're like grasping at trying to figure out the secret to success that we figured out. I mean, probably just dumb luck and perseverance, right? Doesn't that sum it up? <laughs> that's that's why yes. success, Kyle. But why mo having like seen startups go through YC, you have four person co-founder company. What are the chances four years later, all four are still there and still engaged? How often is that's that true. happening? That's a third dimension, whatever that is. It's not just uh, luck and perseverance. You're right. Yeah, there's, there, there is something about how we engage with each other as leaders of that company that made a quadumvirate the least good form of leadership, like stable enough to like not just fall apart, which it normally just does. And so I don't know what that was, but I think it's I think it's something around this deep trust bond, despite the like all the decision level dysfunction on top of it well put you know one thing i will say is all of us had hero moments i think all mm. of us disappointed each other in some cases but all of us impressed each other in some cases too and so that that probably had a big thing to do with it so if you were to go back and give yourself advice like senior year of college or in kyle's case sophomore year of college <laughs> again like would you tell them again like go do a startup that was like that's the, that's the path i don't know man it's been it's been pretty rough <laughs> sure for sure no i would definitely say do a startup do a startup because like even without the outcome i mean obviously we got we all made it which was incredible but 
even without the outcome, I feel like it's been such a learning opportunity. Like I, sometimes I take for granted, like what a tremendous learning opportunity this whole journey has been to be able to, not just within like the context of startups and then business and investing, but then actually because of, of this tremendous success curve, being able to access people who, who are like at the top of the game in all these other areas and learn from them, you know? And I think that to me is like the biggest gift. Like even like, so, you know, my pivot to like wellness and like focusing on the intrinsic, I think I've been able to have like these amazing teachers and like opportunities to learn because of the success side, you know? And, and so I, I, I for me, it's like, oh, worth it. Even though it was very painful, I think it was, it was definitely worth it in this journey. It's why I don't regret like having Atrium, like I'm just blowing up, you know, incinerating $75 million. Like I learned so much about myself through that process. You, know? you didn't incinerate all 75 of it. That's true. And, and a of bunch it. of people got legal services at a discount price. <laughs> yes. Yes. The market was served. I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you, I mean, other advice or like, would you do this again? I mean, obviously it worked out, but like Kyle, I'm curious, like, on general principles, sort of knowing what you know now, do you think dropping out midway is was like, like an, on average a high percentage move, or do you think it would have been better to like stay all the way through, graduate, and then then start a startup? I think that was a for me it was a better way to to get into it than graduating because I think uh, had I graduated and there's a lot more attention on what you do and a lot more pressure to make a reasonable decision mm. or had I like waited until after I'd already like joined a company and had like a stable paycheck and other things like the I think I think like for me that point in my life and maturity was a good time to do it before I had a chance to like develop or lock in any other habits so I would say yes and what I've learned about myself since then is I really like starting companies and creating and and I think I'd have a hard time like you know having a, a regular job I was just say looking back at it like if I was going to start a startup I'm very glad I did it immediately after graduating not like waiting i'm glad it wasn't like oh i'm gonna go work for four years at google and then start a startup like that would have been a big mistake if i was gonna do it it was right that i did it immediately why is that i think it like builds bad habits you learn all these things that like that are true in your that context and untrue and you have to unlearn them and i i think that unlearning is always like five times harder than learning stuff something is and so I think I, I'm glad I didn't have to unlearn any bad habits. I had a lot of good ones to learn. Well, I was thinking about the idea. I wouldn't change anything first. No, I, I, I love this question when like I get it from college kids. I'm like, I'm talking to you all now and I'm filthy rich. God forbid I changed one minute and the outcome changed, right? That would be <laughs> the dumbest, dumb, <laughs> like, the, the, like the parallel universe Justin and Kyle and Emmett would just be just just laughing at me so hard. <laughs> so no. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about, though, and I love your guys' thought on this, is like, what was the best version of ourselves? Like, I've told myself a little story about each one of you in terms of like, what we were then and what it turned out to be the best version of ourselves. And I kind of felt like, you know, Justin was the inspirer. Like, I feel like that's always been the best version of Justin. I feel like I didn't realize that Kyle turned out to be the entrepreneur. In my mind, Emmett, you turned out to be like some combination of leader and like strategist. Like, and I felt like I turned out to be a teacher. And it's like weird how like we all like, 
we're co-founders and like we were all CEOs, but then like we all ended up being kind of different. And, and like, I remember a conversation with you, Kyle, last year where you were like, oh, like, you know, I already have a list of other things that I know one day, once I solve this whole self-driving thing, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'll work on next. Yeah. Small problem of self-driving. Another 10 and years I or so. I thinking yeah. to myself, like, oh my God, like, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to start a company and you, y- y- there are still problems in the world you want to solve. So like, that's my four parts what are your parts like critique that i think that's right i'm I'm curious actually i was curious to ask you guys like what have you learned through this journey about yourselves because for me you know one of the things i i learned i learned a lot like skills wise and obviously became an expert in startups and investing but i think i learned a lot about myself and like my personality and I think for a long time in the startup world, I, you know, when we were working together, especially I was like, Oh, I should be an entrepreneur. I should be a, but I should be really an executive. I should be the founder and CEO of this company and like, or a company and build something really big. But it's kind of like, I didn't really want to do any of the things that that entailed, you know, I didn't like love doing those things necessarily. And like what I love doing, like you said, is like, I love the, you know, the inspiring part or like, you know, getting people catalyzing things, getting people excited about things, learning about new ideas. I'm like the world's greatest hype man, you know? And like, uh, there you go, Justin, you got your slogan. I'm Justin Kahn, world's greatest hype man. That's, there you go. World's that's greatest hype that's, man. That, you just go. nailed it. And I feel like it's, it's, uh, it took me so long to realize that about myself. Like, what do I actually like doing? You know, and what, what gives me intrinsic joy versus what do I just think I should be doing? And it's weird because you don't usually think of should as like, oh, I should be an entrepreneur, right? Like most people are like, I should like stay at my job at Goldman Sachs or I should be a doctor, a lawyer or whatever, like their parents told them. But for me, my mom was an entrepreneur. So I was like, I think I had it in grade. I was like, oh, I should be an entrepreneur. And that's like, uh, you know, it's something as I've only really recently realized about myself as like my highest, you know, what I'm like actually good at and what I like doing. Emmett, I mislabeled you. You're the product person. That's what I meant by leader slash strategist, like product person. Like you, you, you ended yeah. up being the best product person out of all of us, which is weird because I feel like it took you so long to apply your brain to that problem. And then when you did, it was like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, I, I think that the, the big thing that I wound up realizing about myself that like, it took me many, many years to come to terms with because I had this, I grew up thinking I was like a, not like antisocial. Like I was an anti, so I was, I was bad at people and that like computers and systems made sense and they were safe and people were hard. And I wasn't good at like solving people problems. And it turns out actually that's like, I'm a good programmer, but like, that's a deeply incorrect, like self image. I'm actually very good with people. I'm actually very good at listening. I just, when I was younger, it was so important to me and so overwhelming. I couldn't like, I couldn't stick with it. It was like, uh, being, trying to be present to that was so hard that I was like, Oh, no. And I pushed off. And, you know, I think the big transformation for me was gushy going into management made me better at product because I had like, I was forced into this corner of like, shit, I'm managing a team. I have to learn how to interact with people. And then I like that, I think shifted my self image enough to let me like call customers on the phone and like, listen to them and listen to their problems. And I never would have done that before. Cause like, 
I remember hard it was, Michael, for you to teach me to like, you can just call them for technical support. You don't have to find it on the website. It's okay to pick up the phone. And I was like, no, I will find it on the website. No, 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 it's, it's, we, can, we can call them. And like, I finally like internalized like, oh no, t- t- I like talking to people. I like hearing what they have to say. And that was a, that was such a, that was a huge shift for me. Um, and I, yeah, I wish I had learned that earlier. I also think like the, Kyle, I don't know what you think, but I, I think like the entrepreneur, but also just like you, my impression is actually you of all of us get a lot of joy out of solving hard problems. Like I actually am always looking for the way to, to short circuit it so I don't have to solve the hard, hard problem. So there's some cheat code way for me to achieve the result without the hard problem. And I feel like that's actually a fundamental difference where you actually want to like take on the actually hard problem, um, which is a little different. Like that, that's what you did at Just DV. Like the video system was the one actually difficult problem. Everything else was like pretty much the run of the mill. That's interesting. Uh, we'll come back to that. But Justin, yeah, the hype man, I think is right. But also I remember, uh, I can't remember how you described it, Michael, but uh, Justin, you were like the, you were real talk. You were Mr. Real Talk. Like, I'm going to pull you aside and have a, like, a direct conversation and say the things that other people are not saying. And I think that was mm. like one of your superpowers. But uh, now, for I think, I mean, you might have nailed it. For me, I think the thing I realized is that I, I like, I guess the best way to describe it is long term compounding. So I like to take a really ambitious goal and then take like one baby step towards that each day. And I really appreciate that over long periods of time things that seem impossible, like, you know, they basically compounds, you bring more investment in more people, more like ability to make progress. And that's, that's really satisfying. So like having a really ambitious goal, and just like ignoring the fact that it's, you know, insane, and just taking a step towards it. I mean, like, work, yes, cruise is pretty ambitious. But even like these crazy fitness things I did on the side, it's the same thing. And that process every day, like trying to get a little better gives me a lot of joy. And once I realized that, yeah. The process itself was a joyful activity and not just the destination that makes it much easier to like sustain that for many, many years. I, I think for me, like it is that it was that thing of like, I like, I should have just like, I love evangelizing stuff. Like, I think I would have been a lot happier in the, my career if I had just realized that earlier and just said, Hey, that's okay. Like you don't have to build a product. You can just go do the evangel- evangelizing. And I think what you picked up on Kyle, which is the real talk part is like, I'm a very authentic communicator. And people pick up on that and it builds a lot of rapper. And like, that's why my YouTube channel is like, YouTube channel works, right? Or like Twitter or whatever. It's like people connect with me because I, I have a very authentic voice. And I think that's because of, you know, how I saw my mom communicate when I was a kid. And that's, that's like, you're right. Those are like the things I'm good at. Like the only things I'm good at is like catalyzing things, getting people excited and having an authentic voice. So they like people they're like, oh, wow, this guy's a real deal. You know, like I trust him or like I want to work with him or invest with him or whatever. And so, you know, career wise, like I've now found the perfect set of careers, right? Which is like, oh, I could just do that on YouTube all day and on, you know, social media and then also monetize it through investing, right? Where like, it's, it's pretty crazy how many people out there are like, I want Justin to be part of my company in some way because I've like, you know, I've listened to him, watched, watched his video, whatever. It's like, a, it's marketing, right? It's basically, and it's like a conversion funnel optimization. And, you know, I like to think I help in the back end, but so does many, so do many investors. And, but it took me just so long to like, accept that about my, accept that career, like that, that was like enough. My mind is blown. Yeah. My mind is blown. We had you in exactly the right job in 2006. <laughs> you were the talent. Yeah. 
what I, what we should have done in Justin TV, if we were all like playing musical chairs was like, you know, you should have really done all the product, Emmett. And, or, and, you know, maybe some combination of you and Michael, right? Michael's like really good at product him, himself uh, in, in, a, in a bunch of ways. And Kyle should have basically been the CTO of the company. And I should have just gone and like done the fundraising and like been the hype man and like not been in, like, in the office and just recruited people like been like, I think, you know, I think often like, oh, I should like, that's what I'm good at. You know, like that's why being a VC is a perfect job because it's like, it's all fundraising and then deploying the money and like chasing new ideas and meeting people and building rapper. Right. Should have run our social media. You would have been a better fundraiser by far. It's funny. Cause I now I'm, I'm refining this in real time. It's actually preacher. You were the preacher. Kyle was the engineer, you know, doing the hard thing. Emmett was product and, and I was the teacher. And I, and, and it was funny because actually in many ways, I felt like the teacher sometimes like, you know, I think that one of the cool things about being a teacher is, you know, when you're teaching a good class that the people you're teaching are more are like smarter than you, like have more horsepower than you. But like at that point, like they're not ready to kind of harness it. And your job is to make sure the class just kind of stays somewhat <laughs> functional. <laughs> I, I do remember Justin's pitch to me for like why we should bring you onto the team, which is like, we are not capable of like paying attention to something on a sustained basis. And we need someone with like, who's more of an adult to like keep us on target over time. And I was like, you are correct. <laughs> hence, hence bringing Michael on to make sure we like, actually would like stay on course at least a little bit i mean you guys did build a startup and sell it that's i mean you you, you had something going for yourselves kiko was a if you think justin tv was poorly managed kiko was a whole <laughs> new was a trash level. fire it was it was it was i don't i i do not know of a worse managed startup than kiko i've never heard of one no one's ever told me a story that like competes it is it was that bad I mean, I guess the upside was we like we got really good at building stuff fast. We got really good at prototyping. It was like a masterclass in prototyping stuff. But like as a startup, it was like it was like our own Lambda school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Michael, what did what did you learn about yourself? That's a good question. I feel like I don't have this great answer about a new learning. I think what the gift that you guys gave me by recruiting me was, you know, my name in college was same day Cybel, right? Like I needed a gun to my head to, to do shit. And like, you guys recruited me into a job where like by hook or by crook, like there were guns pointed at heads, like all the time. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, literally, as we've yeah, talked literally about. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like my time at Justin New was just like a reaffirmation that it's like, hey, gun, point a gun in my head and like, we'll, we'll get through it. But like, God forbid we're like safe. Ah, uh, this is, this is kind of boring. And I definitely remember there were times where it's just nothing was happening. And I was just kind of like, I'm not gonna, I'm not bringing my A game today, but like, you know, testimony in front of the government or like, we're about to die or like, you know, when we like stupidly, when I invested our money in auction rate securities, like all those moments, right? Like, or like, hey, the video system's down and we can't get Kyle on the phone. Like all those moments, it was just like, oh yeah, like these are, these are the fun moments. And it's funny because now at YC, you know, like YC is older now. It's like 16 years old. Like the drama isn't the same, but when shit goes down, I still have this like 
oh, all right, here we go. Like, you know, when, when COVID happened, it was like, oh, okay. Like we got to make some shit happen. And like, that's what I love. I don't know if there's any other job that just gives you that. And I actually don't know that most people would want that, right? Gun to your head, right? Why, why is that attractive? But, um, I don't know. That was, that was awesome. And, and, and it made me better at that. You ever consider emergency room doctor? I hear it's similar. You know, I rode ambulances in high school and, uh, it was a little similar. Yeah. It was a little similar. So Michael, I, I hear you talk a lot about like what startups you like, you wish you saw more startups. And actually it's one thing I wanted to ask you. I think it's like, I'm curious what everyone here thinks, but like specifically you, I feel like you have this point of view that like, you wish you saw more startups. I think we're not like the startup we started, which is like kind of this like social media startup or that's like in this, maybe Justin TV isn't a good example of that, but I feel like you want to see a new, you know, startups that are trying to do something uh, important. I was just curious, what do you like, what do you wish you saw more of in terms of like people starting startups now? Or what advice would you give people to like, this is, this is the kind of startup I, I'd love to see now. You know, Justin and I were talking about this and I think I had a false conclusion. I think that what I thought I believed was that I wanted more impact startups. I think what I actually realized by talking to Justin was that I don't like people who are doing startups to get rich quick. And I think at no point did we think we were going to get rich quick. <laughs> get rich slowly with quick. agonizing pain. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we thought we were going to get rich. And so the quick part wasn't even part of the like equation. And I think when I see this like kind of massive proliferation of pivotitis, it's like a symptom of people wanting to do this, not enjoying the experience, but just wanting the end result. And I think I don't respect that. How often do you see that? Like what percentage of, of startups that you know, like apply to Y Combinator or you come across are like that? I'm really curious. Screw, screw apply to YC. Uh, probably 50% of the companies in any given batch. And, and it's hard for founders to be honest with themselves, right? But are in that mode. And I don't blame them, right? I think that in a weird way, the startup world is becoming more attractive and kind of like, you know, like a moth to the flame. It's, it's kind of falsely attracting these people. When the reality is absolutely not a get rich quick scheme. But yeah, I think a lot of them do. And you know, that saying that founders kind of quit, you don't get beat, you quit. That happens at YC all the time. And it's funny because there's so many stories that look a little like ours where the founders just didn't quit. And, you know, years later, good shit happened. So to me, I wish that more founders just were not in that motivation of getting getting rich quick and they liked their work. And whether that means they're building social media stuff or they're trying to reduce you know, mass incarceration, who cares, right? If you like your work, you're gonna do a good job and you stick with it and you'll eventually solve a problem. If you don't like your work, it's kind of like saying you wanna be an NBA basketball player, but like you don't wanna practice extra. It's like you're doomed from day one. Like, don't, just don't even, come on, man. The bar is so much higher than you're willing to even look, let alone reach. Like, don't even try it. Like, you're just going to be disappointed or like, you know, you know, the last point in this is with the proliferation of all this Robinhood stuff and, and trading and crypto, like, I kind of hope it's a brighter flame that kind of attracts these get rich quick folks. And it's like, oh yeah, like, 
you could build a product and flip it real fast, but like you could also just click buttons on your phone and like buy Dogecoin and fucking GameStop and you could be rich with just clicking. Go do that. Like, please go over there. <laughs> I can't wait to see the show 10 years from now that Justin has where it's like all the Dogecoin billionaires talking about how they came together and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> through thick and thin and perseverance built a great, uh, great, great enterprise or great value. Yeah, they're like, if I was hanging out on Wall Street bets and this guy's read this post and it really convinced me to go all in on Doge and I just put my $1,000 in and today I'm a billionaire. I really worked hard for it. <laughs> we can skip that show then. It's already over. You just I could have I could have sold. I could have sold. I could have clicked the sell button, but I didn't. And then look what happened. <laughs> I, I was going to click the sell button and then, you know, I like went to get a beer and I forgot. And then I forgot I had it for like 10 years and, you know, now I'm a billionaire. Uh, was the, the original question was like, what kind of startups? Like startups are are yeah. What, what if you, I mean, are you, you I mean, you for? either you start a startup or like that you think someone else should start because you're too lazy, but you think it's a good idea. Okay, here's the category of startup that I'm actually excited about right now. And, and like, I'm probably the last fucking guy to the party, but I now I'm starting to see like there's something to crypto. <laughs> as a way to dismiss did we talk about this last time yes i now think that crypto is going to be a thing i know 10 years too late 12 years or whatever but specifically with social with as a way to distribute the ownership for like different types of consumer apps and i'm like really curious like what it'll work for you know like as a way to like create a new organizational structure basically as a way to innovate the organizational structure beyond like the traditional Silicon Valley equity structure. Does that mean you're willing to transfer your entire network worth into NFTs? <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm working on it right now. No, we're going to do, I mean, speaking of that, we're going to do another NFT drop on my YouTube channel. So definitely stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, don't please. More coming soon. If, if you, if you can't afford to lose all the Are money, you party don't, to this. Don't, don't spend it on the NFT like that, that you, that, assume value of zero this isn't yeah this is not investment advice no no this isn't this is investment advice don't buy the nft NFT. <laughs> yeah we don't know we don't know we could be totally wrong about that that's true probably that's not. true maybe it's, it, maybe it's justin's nft <laughs> michael if it turns out that justin's nfts are like really worth something in 10 years you know the world is strange and mysterious place and i guess that's i guess theoretically anything is possible i don't know I don't know. Kind of like if someone told you 10 years ago that, or 15 years ago that Justin TV itself was going to be a billion dollar startup. Like you would have been like people in Silicon Valley were just like, this is stupid. You know, so yeah. now I should go back and pitch all of those people on my NFTs. <laughs> you missed out once, but this time. You missed out. You missed out once, but this time you're not. Yeah. You, know, you should you find a way sorry. to anonymously pitch Justin TV to investors today and see how they re react. Yeah. I mean, you could just get some other fool to do it, you know, like, yeah. I've, I think that they, it's, it's very possible. I'm sure somebody has, See if they can like, get this guy had it wrong. Like 100 plus million pre-seed. That's the goal. Yeah. 10 million, 10 on a hundred pre-seed. We're going to have to invent the technology to do it. What about you, Kyle? What startup or category of startups or set of problems that aren't being solved now should be solved by our world? Well, I don't know what problems should be solved. Well, I actually have an opinion on that, but like, I think. Um... <laughs> yeah, you do. 
I was, yeah. So, so a couple, I, I, you know, I was like scrolling around on the CDC's website and like looking at things that kill people. So I think it's a good place to start for problems to solve. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it wasn't the CDC. I can't remember whichever, whichever uh, government organization tracks like cause of death and things. And uh, like out of the top seven, I think like five of them had something to do with the food we eat uh, in some way, shape or form. So that seems like underexploited and obviously with like, you know, companies like impossible and, I'm really into like um, cultivated or like, you know, um, synthetically generated meat stuff. I think that could be big. But beyond that, I think what's really interesting, which is just like it may be too early by a decade right now, is basically like think of it as like molecular machines, like using proteins as like the next form of programming. So today we program computers. I think that's like pretty well explored. I think in the future we're going to program proteins and those can be like little tiny machines to assemble and build things but also like get the human body to do whatever we want and bridge the interface between obviously computers and humans but also with diseases and health and i think you can go pretty far down the rabbit hole but i think that's way underexploited because the tech hasn't existed to do that like actually engineering a protein has been kind of guess and check imagine like if you uh compiled a piece of code and it took like six months to know if it worked that's kind of where we are in like biology today, but with uh, machine learning, like things like I think it's called AlphaFold, where basically for the first time you had a neural network that can predict how a sequence of you know DNA is going to fold into a protein. If that works, then now you can compile that code and get an answer in like you know ten minutes, and that's going to enable us to like build a new form of machines that affect the human body and the food we eat and you know even structures and, and things we build physically. So that I think could be huge. And it's like, you know, nature has mastered this, figured out how to turn atoms and DNA into machines way more efficient than anything that we've built, you know, on the macro scale that we do today with like welders and CNC machines. So I think that's the future, but it may be off by like 10 years. We'll see. Well, Ginkgo Bioworks is kind of like the first, you know, one of the first big companies that's doing that, right? Just went public, is going, announced they're going public by a SPAC this, this week or last week. Was that right? Another YC company. First bio investment yeah. we've ever made. Yeah, that's that was that was our first. That was the YC's first bio investment. Yeah, and they're going public back in 2014. Yeah, yeah. boy, that's like that they're must going be public like a at a 15 billion or 17 billion dollar valuation. Yeah, you know, Kyle, I, I like that because I feel like tech is producing more cigarettes, or or fuck tech, the economy produces more cigarettes than I think I realize and I feel comfortable with. Like, it's so weird to grow up kind of, I think in a time where we grew up where cigarettes were just very roundly seen as harmful and bad for you. And like, and then when you look around you see like all these things that are kind of exactly like cigarettes that people don't talk about and that are like not maligned, you know, Coca-Cola is effectively cigarettes, right? Most forms of alcohol, effectively cigarettes. There's like a secret behind the alcohol industry, which is like alcoholics buying tons of alcohol and killing themselves. And like, it's weird how many cigarette industries are out there as opposed to the number of industries that like very clearly are anti-cigarettes. And like, man, like, wouldn't it be nice if our economy could like organically create anti-cigarette companies? But it seems really good at making cigarette companies. Like it seems really good at exploiting emotional and physical addictions and weaknesses that humans have to make money. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. That's, 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 that's human nature, right? Like my theory on it is that we're all running this 
uh, resource scarce algorithm from when we evolved in a resource abundant world. And so, you know, we're, we're not very good at self-control in across uh, the whole spectrum of stimulus, uh, whether it's like information on your phone or food or alcohol or sex or, you know, any of these things. And so it's, it's kind of like a, the intrinsic human problem in the human, in the modern age, which is why, like my recommendation is that everybody should be fasting all the time. <laughs> yeah, this is the the solution is we're just all going to become like monk like, and then the problem will go away because yes. we just need to like learn better self control as a society. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's probably good for the people who do it, but uh, I don't think it's a scalable solution. Unfortunately, the everyone get better self control approach has not historically solved many of these problems. It's interesting. I really the cigarettes thing really resonated for me, but the specific thing is the way that technology like pulls us apart. I know this is much of my bugbear, but like I think that like. There's this intrinsic thing that like all technology does. You see it with smartphones, but it's true with like air conditioning. It's true from newspapers where like it makes you more self-sufficient because it makes you more powerful. And our communities are reliant on interdependence and it's tearing our communities apart. And people are ever less likely to have a strong community, to have like close friends, to, to feel, to be part of a tribe that they really feel like connected to. And like, I think that's a specific air. It's like a, it's like the meta cigarette. It's the cigarette of like, it's the cigarette of technology that like even the good stuff, like it's hard to see air conditioning as like exploiting people's like, it's not addictive. It's just nice. People like air conditioning, but it nonetheless, I think causes people to be less in connection maybe than they, than they could be otherwise in some ways. And so that's, I would love to see more startups trying to directly address that problem. I saw this cool one uh, called quilt that seemed pretty dope. Uh, that's sort of, you know, trying to, trying to directly address this sort of audio style features. And I don't know, I think there's people starting to do it, but it's hard. Uh, that's, that's what I wish we'd see more of. It's really hard. Cigarettes are, they work. Yeah. You stumble into a cigarette business model. It's like a black hole. It's hard to, to, to escape that. It's like, it's a fel- relatively simple system. If you nail it, you make a lot of money all your stakeholders are very happy as long as like the general public doesn't think it's a cigarette. Like, I I actually wonder if the real play is some form of like a change in morality. Really? Mm. Like, like why are cigarettes bad? I think because the government ran ads, right? Like it was like advertising, (laughs) like you advertise that cigarettes are bad. Like, of course they're bad for you, but why do we all think they're bad is because the government ran ads. It was like a weird world where like the government could just run ads that says, get off of social media uh, and like get off of Instagram. <laughs> they must've figured that out because prohibition didn't work so well. So they must've gotten better at that. Well, making it illegal is not the right move, right? It's actually, you make it legal and you just do ads. <laughs> this is America, right? It has to be available. We can just ridicule it like mercilessly. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then also they passed laws that said the cigarette companies can't do ads. So it's like the best yeah. set of laws. Like Information we, control. Yes. We can yeah. run TV ads and you can't is like the, is the American way of changing our morality. Like. <laughs> I thought you were going to go a completely different direction with, with this. I thought you were going to combine it with what Kyle was saying. And we were going to get like protein molecule computer cigarettes that make you healthier when you smoke them and are addictive. That's my startup idea. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> 
I mean, that's kind of what Jewel was trying to do. Except it wasn't actually like good for you. At best, you could well, say it is Jewel good for was, you. It's good for you. Jewel's good. For, if, yeah, if you're a smoker, it's good for you. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying it's not. It's not good for someone. It doesn't. It doesn't make you healthier. Like, imagine if every time you Jewel, that like your like metabolism increased and your like chance of cancer went down. Now, here's one that's interesting. I think Oculus has the potential for this. Like to me, it's always combining video, addictive video games, video games are very addictive and physical movement is like a very interesting combo. And like, you know, I personally lost a lot of weight, literally swinging my arms recklessly in the air with a fucking screen in front of my face. <laughs> I didn't do a Twitch stream of that, by the way, from the outside, just like you flailing around. I mean, I literally do this boxing game and the game tricks me into thinking I'm beating someone up and I really want to beat them up better. And the only way to, literally the only way to do that is to be in better fitness. <laughs> like it's the only way. And it's funny because I play video games and I always love to find the cheap player or like the cheap move. But in a video game where you're swinging your arms, there's no cheat, like the cheats swing your arm faster. Like that's the only cheat. <laughs> And so like, maybe like there are things like that, that could kind of be paradigm shifters. Maybe that's your healthy cigarette is a addictive movement product. Maybe for some people, Strava is like that. I don't know. Yeah. It has got some game, like game mechanics to it. Like basically like when I used it, I got to the point where if I didn't post the workout on Strava, I felt like it didn't count or I didn't do it. So there's like that addictive behavior and positive with positive side effects. Like, I weirdly wish that we taught that you can apply these addictive mechanisms to positive things. Like, well, these are two different visions of the future, right? There's like the addictive for good future, or there's the like, there's like the everyone becomes psychedelic mindfulness monks and no longer is compelled by addiction future. And then there's the like, we have a new wokeness about addictiveness and morality plays addictiveness out of the economy. Well, to be clear, I'm, I'm for the first two, you know, like maybe the third as well, but like they, I both want you to harness addictive, you know, things for your, for your own benefit, addictive, uh, patterns for your own benefit and become a psychedelic mindfulness monk so that it, they, the, your addictions no longer have sway over you. I feel like we just watched the preview for the rest of this simulation. Now I just want to hit fast forward and see how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> like 20 years from now, what's this going to look like? Can we, can we do a vote here? Pick one. Are we voting for most likely or the world you want to live in? World you want to live in. Actually, both. Both. World you want to live in and most likely. You got to vote, Emmett? Most likely, in my opinion, is clearly uh, addiction for good. I think it's unrealistic to, well, I think there will be, certain addictions will get canceled. I don't think it's, there's too many of them and it's too profitable and you'll never cancel all of them. And even though we canceled cigarettes, Philip Morris Altura is like the be most profitable stock in the world over the past 80 years by like, it's like the best investment. If you go like, if you look back over like the last 80 or hundred years, it's like the single best investment. And so like, I just don't buy that. It's going to like happen. That'd be a really serious political movement. And then the mindfulness monks thing. I just don't think like, I just don't think there's realistic. Like, I, that would be, that's a beautiful dream in my opinion. Uh, I agree. I think it's the the addiction for for good. I think for two reasons. One is I think that's like effective. It's like you know, um, if you have an addiction with positive side effects. That's like uh, you know, it can be self perpetuating because people don't kill themselves by doing it. 
And then secondly, uh, I think the most powerful entrepreneurs are ones that have like intrinsic motivation or believe that they're doing good. And I think they're going to defeat the ones who are doing it out of pure profit seeking or because they're purely evil. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most likely one. And uh, one sec, we won't do the one you want one yet. So just most likely. So we have addiction for good, addiction for good, Justin, most likely. Yeah, I agree with that. The addiction for good. Sure, that's the most likely. By the way, we don't say number four, which is maybe status quo, which is like addiction. Oh, for yeah. Power. Status quo <laughs> is the most wins. likely. <laughs> so you're saying so it's like we can change our votes now so addiction for bad addiction for good addiction gets canceled every chance and addiction emmett what's your vote what's most likely what's sorry, what's the time horizon now like 10 years 20 years 100 years 100 years i actually think in 100 years the answer is probably psychedelic mindfulness monks see that's nice. what i was gonna say emmett I agree with you because we'll have control over our minds. Once we have the BCI working, you know, we're just going to be able to turn off addiction. What's the BCI? Like a brain computer interface. We're going to, we're going to be able to turn off addiction and live our lives as psychedelic mindfulness monks. Kyle, do you change your vote? hundred years? What's most likely? That's a good point. Actually on the, if addiction is purely a brain thing. I mean, unless you trip and fall on some heroin, you're, it's mostly a brain thing, you know? That's, that's like not fair. That's a that happens. It's like with this piece of sci-fi, this problem goes away. I'm going to take the, the no, other I just, side I just put that in your mind. I don't know. It does, might not exist. And then we'll, you know, you'll have to become yeah. a psychedelic mindfulness monk, the hardware by like meditating all the time, yeah. which well, clearly well. no one's going to do. So I'm I'm gonna I'm still gonna go with addiction for good because I'm an eternal optimist and I'm not gonna bet against human uh, ingenuity and and desire to you know do better things. Probably very naive, mm-hmm. but that's where I'm gonna go with this. And then Justin, are you most likely Psy- psychedelic mindfulness monks by way of brain computer interface that allows us to turn off addiction? Okay. Wait, Michael, what's your vote? I don't I don't know that I have one. Like my my gut is it's addiction for good or addiction for bad. Like that, that's my guy. You don't we're think the, we're defeating addiction. We're not defeating no. addiction. We're, we're embracing it and it might be good or bad. You're not sure between those two. That's fair. So for addiction for good is a capitalist utopia. Yeah, addiction that's right. Addiction for bad is a capitalist dystopia. Mm-hmm. Addiction gets canceled. That's socialism. Because uh, only a government, like socialism slash communism, like slash totalitarianism, like only a government could cancel addiction. And transcend addiction is libertarianism. It's like we're all free, floating, independent. Yeah, I, I'm actually, you know, if I actually was forced to vote, I, I actually think addiction for bad is going to last another 100 years. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I actually think it's a lot easier to make money that way. And I think more of the players are capital motivated than we would ever want or care to admit. And I actually think addiction for good is harder. I think it's a lot harder of a problem. All right. So, so which, which world do you, which world do you want to live in? We want to live in the psychedelic mindfulness monks one. It's not get boring. That, that sounds pretty fun. I don't know. You, you just control, you know, you, you, you're, you have complete mastery over your, we all have complete mastery over our own minds because a combination of training, like uh, it's like headspace pro plus the BCI, which just beams it right into your mind is going to make it so that everybody is living their like best life all the time and is in, you know, completely 
uh, has released all craving and aversion from their lives. That could be fun though. Like I saw the matrix like you can learn to fly a helicopter in like 30 seconds. Like that sounds awesome. Yeah. So I want to live in that world. It's going to make us like Vulcans. I don't want to be a Vulcan. I'm, I'm with Michael. I want, I want addiction for good. I've never been happier than I've been trapped in a game designers, like perfectly designed system. And if they have one of those that made me instead of, of fat, like sugar consuming persons from a computer, a like super fit, like uh, socially well-adjusted person because the thing's designed to force me to practice those habits. Put me in the fucking game, baby. I want to like, I want to like, I want to be on the treadmill. Give me that hedonic <laughs> treadmill. The hedonic treadmill where I'm always moving forward somehow. Emmett wants to live in the Peloton studio. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but the world's, the world's best Peloton studio. The Peloton studio... That just like it's like the it's AI like, Peloton studio is controlling studio. every aspect of your life. Yeah, put me in, baby. Addiction for good is like the Federation. It's capitalist utopia. It's like the Federation, and then and and addic- addiction transcend addiction is is uh, yeah. It's like the Vulcans because I think once you transcend emotion, is going to feel stupid. It's like oh, once I can control my brain, like like it's going to feel stupid to feel anything it don't feel artificial to feel everything it's oh that's just another stimulus i shouldn't react like and then suddenly we'll become stoic I, I i disagree i think i think curiosity and exploration is an intrinsic part of the human human experience and so you know i often say like if you had the choice to come and live your human experience like feeling only joy or you got the the second choice was to come and have you know the range of emo- experiences and emotions including like joy and sorrow and pain I think people would choose the latter, you know, because they, it's, it's like a, there's a richness of experience. And I think that, that that's what the psychedelic mindfulness monks will choose. Well, what happens if curiosity is tied to addiction? Like what happens if motivation is tied to addiction? I could see that. And like you, you remove addiction, you remove curiosity and motivation, then it doesn't sound good. Well, I think it depends on what you're defining as addiction, because if you're saying like, you know, there's a reward, there are reward loops in everything, including, you know, things that give you intrinsic joy, uh, you know, like things that you, you're exploring for their own, their own sake. Yeah. And, you know, I do think there's like reward loops in the brain for that. And so I guess the, the quality of like a feedback and, you know, uh, or sorry, like some sort of stimulus and then some action and response, whether it's inside intrinsic to you things inside of you or things involves an external phenomenon like that's like an intrinsic part of like the brain operating and it's in in the environment and so i feel Mm. like that it's kind of like saying addiction you you can say it's like there's no human beings without like some form of like feedback and and and, or like simulation and feedback you know fair fair i might be making it unfair it might it might no longer be a brain if it doesn't have that right so maybe that's an that's fair. God, our our, our Giel arguments just no longer like bite in the same way. God's soft. I know, I know. Now it's now it's not as not as personal, and the stakes aren't as high. I do think though, you guys could argue in circles for another eight hours, given the <laughs> opportunity. Pretty convinced. <laughs> I I believe I believe in us too. I believe in us too. <laughs> Let's end it with one last one last thing. We'll say what's you know because a lot of young people watch this. What is one the best piece of advice that you ever got through the startup journey? or else otherwise, I'll give you mine first, which was, uh, 
our, our Brantford college, which was the, the college that we, Michael and I were at at Yale master, which is the term for the, you know, faculty member who like runs the college or whatever. Not said, anymore. Uh, is it, oh, it's not. They changed that. It got canceled. Head of college. Okay. The head of college, former master, uh, master Smith, master head of college Smith, uh, said that if you will, it, it is no dream. And I thought it was the cheesiest shit at the time still probably is, but like, I really feel like it stayed with me, you know, it stayed with me all these years, like for, uh, whatever, 20 years now. And, um, really helped me as an entrepreneur, just be able to think like, Oh, like I can just do whatever I want. And like, it's possible. I can do anything. I really think actually, Michael, you gave me, I think I mentioned earlier, I think you gave me one of the best pieces, like clear, just like actionable advice that like I've thought back on and used so many times, which is like, you can just call them on the phone. You can just talk to the other person, like ask them, you don't have to solve the problem yourself. And like that, it may sound like kind of stupid, but like, that was like, that was actually revelatory for me. And like, I was, I was trapped in this cycle of trying to like, feeling like I, I had to solve, all the, and I still have this issue where I feel like I have to solve all the problems myself. But like, that opened up the idea that I could also do this other thing. Uh, so that was, that was really a, that was a big deal. I think um, for me, it's probably, well, it's sort of a theme for tonight, but the people you work with is everything because the difference between a, a really good person who's uplifting and motivates you and can carry their load and and sort of um, reflects your passion back at you and creates this positive feedback loop. The difference between that and someone who, when you talk to them, like the the net energy level in the room decreases, like they they pull that out of you, and you end up having to really push to like you know bring this you know get um, get this person motivated or, or get them to to do things is immense, and and that also applies for talent and complementary skills and everything else like can't do it alone so people seem seem to be like the most important thing in entrepreneurship get get the the right one or the right ones and it's uh you know 100x your chance for success get the wrong one and it can tank you like in weeks i think you guys taught me three things one was good leadership doesn't mean being disruptive I remember Emmett had to explain to me that like programming was like doing really, really hard word problems that are really long. And like when Michael walks up and like ask a dumb question and like puts his finger on your, <laughs> it's mildly disruptive to that process. <laughs> Which didn't occur to me because there's almost nothing in my life that really you could fuck up by walking up to me and asking me a question. Like, I'm not doing any task that requires more than like 30 seconds of thought at a time. <laughs> it's like, hey, you, hey, you, what's going on there? It's totally fine. It's like, I've learned to answer emails in less than 10 seconds of thought. So like you could really interrupt at any moment. It's fine. I think the second thing that you guys taught me and what was so cool about being in the room with you guys was this idea that like software and engineering are the core, like they're the engine of change. And like ideas and like business guys and spreadsheets aren't. And like, even though I was never a programmer, like I, I bought into the religion of it. And like, that was because of you guys. And that was because like, weirdly we weren't separated. 
Like when you all were debating how to build something or why it's broken, it was always, we were always, I, I wasn't really contributing, but I was in the room. <laughs> I, I still remember the piece of paper up on the walls all over the office. Did you check, Did you the, check the file descriptor, descriptor limits? <laughs> because Michael didn't know what that meant, but he knew it kept being a problem. We kept forgetting to do it. And so he printed out these pieces of paper and just put them everywhere, which in fact did help us solve the problem faster. A rat doesn't understand it's in a maze, but it does know if it makes the same right and left terms every time there's cheese at the end. <laughs> it's actually funny that there were times literally when you looked at the sign and were like, oh, did we check the file descriptor limits? And then that was the problem. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think makes me the best like bug fixer because I predicted the bug and pre-posted the answer in front of you. <laughs> Which Absolutely. I think, I think that's right under that. Did, did you vacuum the database? That was the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think the third one, and a lot of this comes, I think, Justin, in our interaction is how efficiently do you convert money or resources into happiness, and that the engine to optimize isn't the money engine. It's the efficiency of the conversion of money and happiness. And like so many mm. people know are rich, but that engine is broken through something going on with them. Usually something deeper, like something happened to the kid or something that's more of like a, a, a mental health issue. And then like, it doesn't really matter how much money you make if that, whatever the technical term for that, you know, if that conversion is inefficient, you'll never be happy. And if that conversion is efficient, you'd be shocked at how relatively less money you need to be relatively more happy than people who are richer than you. And, you know, I think that was, that was something that, I don't know, I just think we've had a lot of conversations about this kind of thing, Justin. And like, it, it really made me feel like, you know, the quippy version of this is like, don't count the money you didn't make, but it's like more serious than that. It's kind of like, you might be a lot happier in your current situation if you can fix that engine. That might be the most important thing to fix as opposed to how much money you have or how much earning potential you have. Um, so yeah, those are my three. That's a beautiful thought. I can't take credit for it, but I, yeah, I love it. All right. That's it. Thanks, guys, for coming on. This, this is a great convo. We'll do it again next time, whenever that is. And uh, thanks for watching. <laughs>